Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about confrontation uh, and exposure. Uh, But before we get to that, I just want to remind you once again about PeaceWorks University. PeaceWorks University is our online membership community, and we have uh, several members over there. We have a a lot of resources, community, uh, video-based, written, all kinds of things behind a paywall. And that community is specifically designed for people helpers. And so if you are benefiting from the PeaceWorks podcast, then PeaceWorks University is your best next step. Uh, If you're learning week after week on the podcast, then PeaceWorks University is really a great option for you because it's similar material but organized and uh, distributed monthly. And there are um, just resource after resource over there. So if you'd like to learn more about PeaceWorks University, uh, visit chrismoles.org and uh, we'd love to have you in the community. So today, uh, I want to respond to a question. It's a very specific question. Uh, Hopefully, I'll be able to answer it effectively uh, or at least give some insight for the questioner. And it's regarding the idea of confrontation. Uh, So the question goes something like this. Do you have any practical strategies or biblical passages to confront and expose abusive men who continue to minimize deny and shift blame. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know that I'll be able to give a, a how-to, although I'm going to try to give some practical examples. Um, but yeah, I, I'd love to talk a little bit about this idea of uh, minimization, denial, and blame, and at the same time talk about how I think the gospel, uh, the biblical narratives, scripture, and certainly the faith that we belong to if we're Christians uh, runs contradictory to those three aspects of, of abusive behavior. You know, I get asked a question quite a bit, or I get asked questions quite frequently, especially when I travel or speak, that begin with the uh, how do I or how do you, and it's kind of a request for, hey, can you walk me through the formula or the process and uh, of how you do such and such with so-and-so. The idea being, is there a specific step-by-step manual or instruction for doing this work? And now I have some processes that I've developed over the years. I have some ways in which I do things that are familiar to me, that are comfortable for me. But I will say that this work is far from formulaic. The idea that you would repeat the same steps with individual abusers, for instance, uh, would probably be foolish because I think this work requires a lot of uh, insight, information, wisdom. And sometimes it's more like a tug of war or a dance than it is just simply the delivering of information. And so I wanted to make sure I was upfront about that, that I'm going to try to offer some strategies or approaches to help with this individual's question. Uh, 
But understand that one of the things about this work, like any relational work, is that people are different and situations are different. And so our responses are going to be different. And so wisdom is a big part of the equation here. Uh, knowing when to press, what to press, um, why you're pressing in, um, what to listen for. And those are things that I think you learn over time when you're uh, developing your, your skill in this work. So, uh, yeah, let's use that as a caveat and let's jump right into some of the, the particulars. So the question, the questioner wants to know if there's any strategies for confronting and passages for con confronting minimization, denial, and blame. Well, let's start by maybe defining our terms a little bit or understanding why MDB, minimization, denial, and blame, are such uh, key phrases in this work. And I think the, the reason why we use those phrases, and a lot of us do, is because it is often the tip of the iceberg. In confrontational ministry and working in particular with abusive individuals, you rarely see all of the abusive behavior. You rarely see uh, all of the context, especially in the beginning stages when you're learning and, and interacting with the individual and with the story. Uh, you're, you're getting just bits and pieces, fragmented, um, sometimes confusing, mysterious pieces of the puzzle. Minimization, denial, and blame are some of those very common tactics that are used by abusive individuals to guard themselves, protect themselves, to cast doubt, to throw some shade. And it's so common that it's almost always, not always, but almost always the first evidence that a people helper gets in drilling in or pressing into this topic as you begin to interact with an abusive individual. And so that's what I'm talking about, not necessarily working with a survivor or a victim at this point, which gets you a, a tremendous amount of information, but you've been asked to talk to an abuser uh, or an accused abuser. One of the first things that you're going to hear is why it's not that big of a deal, why this is all made up, or why it's someone else or something else's responsibility. Because what, what these three uh, actions do is assuage the, the feelings and the pressure that's being placed on uh, an individual, in, in our case, an abusive individual. Minimization, denial, and blame tends to redirect attention, right? So it's not just all eyes on this individual, but it redirects our attention to um, a philosophical difference, like it's not that big of a deal, or to um, blame, like it's a substance's fault or it's someone else's fault, and it takes a bit of the heat off. And that's one of the reasons why people employ it so readily. It lessens guilt on the individual. So if I'm guilty, but I don't want to feel guilty, I'll try to share the blame, share the responsibility, or lessen the, um, the impact. By doing so, I can somehow lessen or reduce the feelings of guilt that I have. It shares responsibility. And if I could, and again, I'm, I'm using this uh, I language to say, if, you know, from a from a abuser's perspective, if I can share the responsibility, if I can make someone else culpable or 
party to the abuse, then uh, it lessens the load on me. It takes some of the pressure off. And then it casts doubt. That's, that's usually where denial comes in. If I can deny, if I can flat out uh, say that it didn't happen and can create some level of confusion, then it can cast doubt. Now, what, what often gets overlooked here is when someone employs minimization, denial, and blame. So um, you're having a conversation with an individual. It's, um, you know, it's been shared with you that this individual has been using tactics consistent with emotional abuse, uh, such as name-calling, uh, throwing things, they've been breaking things, they've been making threats, they've been making threats of harm to another individual, and you're in that process of confronting and having a discussion with this individual about it, and they instead say, well, you know, she she calls me names too. It's really mutual, okay? Or I would never get so upset if she didn't push me so hard. Um, you know, she makes it very difficult to just walk away, for instance. And so there's an all or nothing type approach, which is uh, blame, blame shifting. So it's, or minimizing. It's like, well, if I really had, I only have two options. I either get abusive or I walk away and she makes it hard to walk away, which, you know, again, that's deceptive in and of itself because there's more options. But that might be an example or, uh, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, she's highly emotional or overly emotional. So see, I've just pulled some out of thin air that I think you can see um, take the pressure off or the weight off. But what I'm asking us to consider when we talk about confrontation, and this might be the first strategy that someone might employ to answer the, the question that was given today. When someone uses tactics that um, appear to be minimizing, denying, or shifting the blame, on some level, on some level within that is an acknowledgement of wrongdoing. And what I mean by that is attempting to assuage my own guilt, <clears throat> excuse me, or casting doubt on the situation or uh, blaming another and making them responsible in some way acknowledges that the behavior in and of itself is wrong, that it's bad. And so on some level, there's an acknowledgement of wrongdoing. If they really believed that their actions were acceptable, right, they would dismiss the confrontation. They would confront in return, uh, right, or they would double down on their abusive behavior. And what minimization, denial, and blame tell us is it's very possible that they know what they did was wrong, but they don't want to deal with the consequences or the reality of it. They certainly don't want to own it. And so one strategy might be, in, in response to minimization, denial, and blame, is to simply parrot back what we're hearing. You know, I, I hear what you're saying, um, and I'm really concerned that you would say it's not that big of a deal. Because obviously, you know, it, it is a big deal when you place your hands on someone else or when you threaten to do harm. Uh, let, me, let me give you an example. So someone might say, well, yes, I, I, threatened, I threatened to hit her, but I wasn't really going to. Okay, that's a minimization, right? And so, you know, we might come back and say, okay, so you had no intentions 
on following through? Well, no, of course not. Did she know that? Well, the answer is, of course, she did not. In fact, that's what makes the threat effective. So the, the threat is effective whether you had intentions to follow through or not, which, of course, I don't know. You may very well have had those intentions. But to say that, right, that minimization is, um, it's possible to confront that by asking the question, did she know that? Because the fact is, it's effective because the potential was there. So you knew full well what you were saying. I mean, let's just be honest with each other. You knew that when you said um, that that if she didn't do what you wanted to do, you were going to hit her, that it was going to motivate her because of the damage that you could do, because of the threat that was there. So we have to be honest. So one strategy in confronting minimization, denial, and blame is to highlight is to highlight the way in which they use it, right? And then call them into responsibility. So for minimization, we're showing the reality, like what I just said. Well, I wasn't really going to hit anybody or it's not that big of a deal. Actually, you know, showing the reality, well, of course it is a big deal. When your partner is motivated out of fear, that's a big deal. So, you know, you don't want it to be a big deal. I get that. Nobody really wants to be confronted on causing their partner to be afraid, but your partner is afraid. And so that is a big deal. And so actually calling the, the minimization into reality, right? Making it life-sized again. Um, blame shifting, you know, when we might bring it back into clarity, for instance. So in that in that example, someone may say, well, I would not have exploded if she had not been lighting matches. You know, that's like a little metaphor, right? So let's just be honest. Then. So what you're saying to me is you're not responsible for your behavior, that she's responsible for your behavior. Well, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that if she wouldn't do this, then I wouldn't do that. So what you're saying is, you don't have control over your own actions. Do you see what, in, in my mind, I'm coming back with truth. So we're confronting it with clarity. Because um, the reality is you do have responsibility and you need to own it. Now, does would it be more comfortable for you if your wife behaved a certain way? Would you find it easier if, uh, you know, she didn't annoy you or whatever the, the case may be. Well, sure, but that's not an option that you have, right? In fact, that's a problem. If you try to control your wife's emotions or um, the way in which she interacts with the world, right, in order to make you more comfortable, that's a problem. So let's not blame her for your outburst. Let's own, let's own those uh, because that's really where they come from. So in that regard, there's a strategy again, which is I'm going to confront the blame shifting with clarity. I'm going to confront the minimization with reality. And I'm going to confront denial with truth, right? So if someone flat out uh, denies, uh, you know, I didn't do that, you know, right? I didn't do that. Then I'm going to ask questions and try to gain um, a little footing when it comes to truth. Now, I want to be careful here, and denial is the, the hard 
the hardest one of the three mechanisms because it requires knowledge and it also requires responsibility. So I don't want to just confront the individual with truth that maybe I've been trusted with but not given permission to share. So if a victim, for instance, has trusted me with the scenario, the incident, a story, but is fearful, then I don't want to share that story. I want to instead ask questions. I want to gain more clarity. And it kind of goes back to that old adage that, that I had a friend who used to say quite a bit, an older friend of mine, that if you tell the truth, you can have a short memory, right? That it's hard to maintain a lie. And so when confronting flat denial, I think it's helpful to continue conversing, continue talking. I think the mistake that some people helper make, people helpers make is when they when they feel that the person they're with is lying to them, they try to press into that lie rather than to expand upon truth. I think it's a lot more helpful when when confronted with a, a denial. I didn't do it. To keep asking questions that call for truth, keep surrounding that truth. Well, tell me a little bit more about the evening. Tell me a little bit more about this conflict. And then asking questions that are targeted so that it makes it really difficult for the client, the individual, uh, to deny responsibility. Because what you're looking for in that case is some kind of acknowledgement that then you can say, okay, so do you see how that could be a problem? Do you see how that is something you could take responsibility for? And always coming back to that idea of responsibility. I know I'm dancing a little bit because there's really not a pinpoint strategy unless you're in the room operating um, with an individual who is practicing these types of behaviors. If you get a chance, if you're in the biblical counseling world, uh, IBCD, the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship, created some observation videos a few couple years ago in which uh, I, I portray the counselor. It's the domestic abuse observation videos from IBCD. And um, in some of the counseling sessions with Travis, who's the gentleman that I'm working with, we practice some of this where he is minimizing and I'm drawing out reality. He's blaming, and I'm asking for clarity. And he's denying, and I'm searching for truth. And I think that would be a great place for you to kind of see some of the give and take uh, that happens uh, in, in a counseling environment or a confrontation environment. So let's go back to the question for just a minute. So the questioner also was asking, um, how do you confront and expose and I think if you if you listen to me talk throughout this episode, you probably are picking up that I'm not um, heavy-handed. And I think the best way to gather the information that you need, the information that's going to help this individual, is to have a conversation. And if you can do that um, gently and kindly, but with firm um, outcomes and agendas. I think you can find some success in this work. And what I mean by that is I, th 
I tend to find two, two ditches that we fall in as people helpers. The first ditch is that we become the bully. We, we come into a confrontation ready to, you know, kind of like um, the, the monster in the, the book where we've got the, the torches and the pitchforks, right? We, we're ready to extract some vengeance, uh, but that's not really our role. And so coming into a confrontation heavy-handed, overly accusatory, ugly in our tone, our demeanor, our approach, I haven't found that to work. And in fact, I think all it does is reinforce the worldview that if you have power and you are um, ugly, you can get what you want. And, and I don't think that works. I think it's a ditch that we should avoid. I think the other ditch that helpers fall into is they're overly nice. And sometimes it gets conflated because I call people that I train to be gentle and kind and winsome. And some folks confuse that with being nice. I, I'm not asking folks to be sugary sweet. This is a tough topic. You're saying very hard things, but you're saying hard things in winsome ways, meaning I want to be confrontational. I want to be direct. I don't want to mince my words if I can help it. Uh, but at the same time, I don't want to be a jerk. It's a, it's a very relational approach. And, and I think confrontational ministry, like what you see in Galatians 6, brothers, if any is caught in the sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one, involves consequences. It involves conviction on the part uh, of the Holy Spirit. It involves truth. And I want to bring what I can bring to the table, which is a heart of restoration, um, a gentle demeanor, but truth. And when it comes to minimization, denial, and blame, uh, you can't have both. You can't have truth and M MDB. You can't have truth and minimization, denial, and blame. And so I would much rather the client be uncomfortable with truth than uncomfortable with my demeanor. In, um, in my book, The Heart of Domestic Abuse, I write a section on, uh, on change. It's a chapter called A Call to Authenticity in which I take the attributes of power and control and I contrast them with some scriptural principles. And so here's what I wrote regarding minimization, denial, and blame. I said, truth and a willingness to speak honestly are key components within the Christian life. Deception and misleading behavior are valuable tools to an abusive man who consistently deceives himself, lies to his spouse, and attempts to mislead everyone else. He's a master of manipulation. That must stop, and truth must come forth. One, as a means of accountability. And then here's a scripture passage for you. Ephesians 4.15 Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Second, it's a means of sanctification. John 17, 17 says, uh, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And then lastly, this confrontation is a matter of obedience. In Ephesians 4, 25, we're instructed, therefore, each of you must put all falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. Now note, each of those verses, those simple verses that I quote in the book, 
are referencing believers. So if this individual is claiming to be a believer, then these acts of deception have to be put off. And we can have that conversation. Do you understand that when you minimize, deny, blame, um, you are in essence um, telling lies or falsehoods, half-truths, spitting the details, right? So those passages, those little verses that I just read, all apply to believers. So the question then is, if you continue to double down on this behavior, like if this is the behavior you want to wrestle with and say, this is me, I'm going to stick to it, then we may need to have a conversation about whether or not you're a believer. Another passage that um, I use quite a bit is 2 Samuel chapter 12. I just love the way that Nathan the prophet confronts David in his sin by telling this wonderful story of the rich man and the poor man. And in doing so, what he does is he highlights David's sin in someone else's story. And what Nathan does so brilliantly is where David objectified Bathsheba, you know, Nathan humanizes a sheep where um, David was living in this impunity, no consequences, right? He gives um, a very clear story, Nathan does, that draws out David's justice. So that type of um, maneuvering as well is helpful. And I'll use narratives in that way as well. But those are just a few little passages that might be helpful. Uh, Overall, though, I mean, if you're confronting or involved in confrontational ministry, I think it would benefit you to get a little bit more training and a a little bit of seasoning um, because it is a difficult work. And minimization, denial, and blame, as the question has pointed out, are key strategies incorporated by abusers in large part to assuage their own guilt, to redirect the attention, to take some of the heat off, to cast doubt on the scenario. And one of your roles as a people helper, as a confrontational minister, as it were, is to narrow the focus, to shine the light of truth um, so that there is, there's no more um, means or need to avoid that type of responsibility. And remember, when someone uses minimization, denial, and blame, there is to some degree an acknowledgement that what they're doing is wrong or else they would own it right up front, wouldn't they? All right, guys, I hope this was helpful. Thank you so much for listening and being part of the PeaceWorks podcast. Uh, Be sure to rate and review on whatever platform that you're listening. Let that platform know how much you appreciate the PeaceWorks podcast. And until next time, God bless.